In this series of career sessions, all of our guests hold doctorates in their chosen field, and we invite them to talk about their pathway from PhD candidate to present day. We ask them what they've learned, and we also ask them to give advice to people who might be thinking about a career in research when they've finished school or when they've finished their undergraduate degree. Welcome to Career Sessions with your hosts, Steph and Tamara, proudly sponsored by Inspiring South Australia. Today, we're talking to Dr. Sharon Pittman, who completed her thesis at the University of South Australia in 2015. Her project, entitled Ecological Literacy, an assessment of the ecological knowledge and understanding of South Australian adults, combined her passion for the arts and sciences to inform, enrich and engage communities in ecological literacy. Sharon has a multidisciplinary background in environmental management, community engagement, education, creative writing and communication. Previously, she managed the South Australian Green Infrastructure Project to integrate the planning and design of green spaces and water systems that underpin the health and sustainability of towns and cities. And she's also worked for several years with Greening Australia, engaging communities in landscape rehabilitation and habitat restoration. These days, you will find her at the office of Inspiring SA, who are the sponsors of our project. And she is located on North Terrace in Adelaide. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. <laughs> to kick us off, just so we can sort of situate our listeners, um, what is your current role right now? So what are you doing right now and what does your day look like? So my current role is as the state manager of the Inspiring South Australia program. It's a national project. Well, it's a national initiative. Um from the federal government to engage communities with science and improve science literacy. So each state has a different iteration of that program. And so here, the three major universities, the state government, the federal government and the South Australian Museum uh, have come together to uh, implement the program in South Australia. That's the role which I've been in for over four and a half years now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sort of a very interesting role um, my day now, do we mention COVID-19 oh, as yes. part of our day? <laughs> okay, you maybe it. your typical day. <laughs> if if um, I was you're... not working from home all the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or even if I am, but it's a bit different. Hmm. Um, so look, we, I oversee National Science Week, which is the, um, national science festival that happens every August in Australia. Hmm. So I oversee that for South Australia, um, we run a, a series of grant programs that fund community groups and organisations to deliver events and activities that engage communities in science and also in regional South Australia so that they're engaging in local science that's relevant to them. Um, we do some innovative grant programs like our science arts collaboration grants uh, where we, we get arts and science groups and organisations and individuals to come together to tell the stories of science in different ways. We do science for early childhood programs through our library, public library system, um, because we're really interested in under-engaged audiences, audiences Mm. that not really, so we don't really do a lot with schools um, because they have a curriculum and they've already got a a pathway to Yeah, so under-engaged audiences. And then, you know, we do quite a lot of communications around all of that as well. So my, my normal day is a mix of all sorts of things. 
Um, Not just sitting in front of a computer, going to meetings, engaging with stakeholders. And sometimes back in the good old days, um, flying to regional areas and, you know, assisting them and helping them um, set up things. So, yeah, it's a very diverse and interesting life. Sounds like it. Sounds like a great job. (laughs) So we want to go back to when you're younger and when we want to know whether or not you are the first in your generation to go to university or did your parents go to university? I was the oldest of five children. Four of the five have been to university mm-hmm. and one, two, two, two have PhDs. Mm-hmm. But my parents didn't. My father did go to Roseworthy College to study agriculture for a while, mm-hmm. but not really, mm-hmm. not, not you know, in a, in a sense of... So you were sort of leading the at, way for your siblings and... Well, I guess so i guess so yeah they were very educated parents but not university educated mm. so much mm-hmm. so about academia was valued and and did you know university was something you wanted to do when you were a kid well i was kind of told that that's what i would be doing so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes it was valued <laughs> it was a little bit like my family <laughs> we, we, there was no choice um so did you know what you wanted to do for, at university no, I, I look, when I was very young, I started being a creative writer and I thought probably I would be a, a writer for mm-hmm. all of my life. <clears throat> and I still love writing, especially creative writing, although I've done a lot of all of the other kinds you can imagine. <laughs> so I did an arts degree at university to start with, but, you know, I, I studied politics and history and, and English and those sorts of things. Um, I did get into law arts which I wished I had done mm-hmm. because then I could have been an environmental lawyer by now, which would be pretty <laughs> cool. But um, I don't know, people convinced me that law was going to be too dry for me and I was too creative and I, I, I listened and I perhaps shouldn't mm. have. Um, but anyway, I and, and then I did a graduate diploma in education because mm. I was also not so much interested in teaching, which I then did for five years, but I was interested in um, create in, in creating resources for children and for schools and therefore I thought having an education uh, degree might be useful, which mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. So they were my first two um, sessions at university. Yeah, and did you go to university straight after high school or? Straight after. In yeah. those days gap years weren't really a thing mm-hmm. and I had no money. I wouldn't know what to do anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I went, went straight to university. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from your bachelor's you went straight into your, te- your teaching? A day or two. Uh, a a year or two. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> a year or two later. Yeah. Um, I became a playwright in residence with a children's theatre company for a while and um, I did I did start working a lot on the creative writing mm. um, work, which was great. Um, Understanding the kids as well, I suppose, when you get to immerse yourself in, into that, like those with those kids, it kind of helps you to learn what the language of the kids. To- yes, mm. even though I was almost just one myself. You know, I, mm. <laughs> things change really quickly and also... There is great diversity in education um, forums, mm. which, you know, you need to learn about, I think. But I loved children. I loved the way children's minds create <laughs> things. And so I think that was my interest there in mm. in writing and, and creative writing and th- children's theatre and, mm. you know, I wrote novels and things like that. 
So, and then after teaching, you were a teacher for... I did teach, but it wasn't my passion and yeah. I, I wasn't very good at it. You know, I, <laughs> Little kids or, or high school? No, schoolers? secondary school. Yeah. And I wasn't very good at it. And I um, I was great with the kids who wanted to be there, but I was no good at babysitting the ones who didn't. I wasn't yeah. one of those those fans, fantastic teachers you see in movies who can get all <laughs> the <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah. I just wasn't. And so <laughs> I do hear that high school teaching can sometimes be more classroom management than Oh, uh, look in though where I, I was in eleven schools in five years and oh. um yeah. And, so yeah, yeah, often given the classes nobody wanted as a contract teacher and I, it sort of put me off. But mm. um no, look I just it just wasn't I just wasn't very good at it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that wasn't where I should stay. So then after five years of teaching, then PhD? No, goodness no. Then I was um, I was back into writing and, and then having children. And so I was working from home as a writer for a long time. And my passion for nature and the natural world um, started to bubble up and I thought I really want to do a master's in environmental studies or mm. environmental science. So I, I did that, um, loved it, um, and part way through that is when I got my job at Greening Australia, which was full time for a number of years, and going you know straight into the industry of environmental management and environmental conservation. So um, yeah, PhD wasn't a thing then. Mm. So did did your like desire to work in that field do you think it came from your dad because you said your dad did an agricultural no it didn't it look it just came from our lifestyle I think we Mm. grew up we grew up with nature we grew up in a in a big garden with lots of trees always being at the tops of the trees we grew up we spent a lot of time um up on the river Murray where my great uncle had a had a farm um we spent a lot of time at the beach so I just grew to love the natural world Mm -hmm. And I think I grew to love the natural world more than I liked the people world. <laughs> well, so. if you spend enough time around teenagers, that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, so that informed, I, I think, my career path a great deal, that love of nature and then what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very multidisciplinary back, kind of background, isn't it? So you've got this whole pathway before you even get to your PhD. What yeah, made that, you decide? Well, I, I, I then worked at the um, Botanic Gardens of South Australia for mm. many years, um, managing sustainability programs and green infrastructure programs. And during that time, uh, look, something just happened, and I just felt this—I felt this need bubbling up, you know, to do further study. <laughs> I don't know why you do that when your kids are young and you're working full time. The university is like a cult. It sucks you back in. But I was working with some great people and um, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I really want to, to do this for some reason. And my supervisor was a friend mm-hmm. who I worked with or a colleague, I should say. Mm-hmm. So we worked closely together and I just got inspired to take it a bit further. So then one day we just said, yep going to happen. So you came into your PhD with an idea of what you wanted to investigate? Yeah, so I had been doing, in my work, I did a lot of research into environmental science issues, you know, generally and sustainability issues. And I'd come across a concept that I hadn't really heard of before that was bigger in the US 
called ecological literacy. Mm. And I took that to my supervisor colleague and I said, I want to do this. And he said to me, no, you don't. You want to do this. And I said, no, I don't want to. I want to do this. <laughs> so we had a bit of an argy-bygy, but he said, I've never even heard of it. And I said, well, let me tell you what I know. It might be interesting. Anyway, I did do, I did look at ecological literacy, which is um, the knowledge and understanding of how nature works, basically, and how, how human and environmental and natural systems connect and the interface with human society and its understanding how those things actually work mm. in order to be able to make uh, more sustainable decisions about how we live. Mm. And I really wanted to look at how ecologically literate our community was, you know, how much did we know about how nature works mm. and who knew. So um, I became, and I'm still passionate about yeah, that. Yeah, because I'm thinking, do you mean the lay person, the regular public, mm. or do you mean academics? No, or? nothing to do with academics, just people in the mm. community. We make countless decisions every day, every week, every year about how to live. And if they're not informed, well-informed about, you know, how the systems, the life support systems look after us, how can we live in sustainable ways in the future, mm. especially with so many people on this earth? So that was my passionate thing and my supervisor agreed and he got into it he got right into it and um it was the best thing so what did did you find that people uh had had like where were their levels of literacy generally look the the, the self-selected sample and it's self-selected my sample was self-selected because um what i was asking of people wasn't going to be undertaken by people who weren't a little bit interested mm-hmm. um uh, showed that um, there's certain certain factors, certain sociodemographic factors, and certain psychographic factors, which would would contribute potentially to a greater level of ecological knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they're not rocket science, but you know, people, for example, who grew up, grow up in small towns or villages and are much more connected to their landscapes mm-hmm. and their systems and their communities had much higher levels than people who lived in cities or in very large towns. Which seems very logical. It seems very logical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, people in in the middle age groups, not the students who are studying things, um, but people in the middle age groups tended to be a lot higher. People who spent um, who regularly volunteered uh, mm-hmm. in in environmental pursuits were extremely high compared with those who never did. There's all sorts of factors that um, might give somebody good ecological. Wh- one of them is one of them shocked me enormously when I found it, and that is that males were significantly higher than females. Now, there's two reasons for that. If you're interested, um, <laughs> one is that. Our sample was over 18, mm-hmm. and so um, they were all adults. And the thinking is that, one, in as children, boys always in the past tended to roam more, mm. tended to be allowed out of the house more, tended to get on their bikes and go and explore yeah, more, girls are more exposed and- to their local environments where there were vacant blocks and creeks and, and, and you know, scrublands and all sorts of places to explore, mm-hmm. whereas girls tended to be kept closer to the home. Mm-hmm. That, that was one, um, one, th- one part of the thinking. And another is that at school um, 
boys tended to study more of the science-based subjects. Mm -hmm. So the point about studying science-based subjects is that they encourage systems thinking. And to understand how nature works, you really have to think in systems. Mm. So um, we did find that students who studied, um, even just at high school, some science subjects, and then never went on to do any further study, mm-hmm. were much higher in their, eco- like significantly higher in their ecological knowledge and understanding than those who didn't study any science-based subjects um, at school. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's the science-based subjects, I think, um, that generate or, or encourage or facilitate systems thinking was a very interesting finding. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of, you know, there was lots of things that came out of it that um, are really interesting. Just to bring it back, your PhD was ecological literacy and assessment of the ecological knowledge and understanding of South Australian adults. So what exactly did your project entail? Like what was the question you were trying to answer and how did you answer it? (laughs) (laughs) Just take your time. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'd have to look back up my PhD manuscript to find the questions I was trying to answer. But (laughs) look, um, I think I was was looking at what what are the – factors that underlie um, ecological literacy, mm-hmm. what are the characteristics of the more ecolo- ecologically literate people and the least ecologically literate mm-hmm. people, how can we improve the ecological literacy of our communities? Mm-hmm. I did it by doing a lot of research into this subject from overseas. I actually took a trip to the US for three weeks where five mm-hmm. of the gurus lived in different parts of the US, which was brilliant, Mm -hmm. to go and interview them and talk to them. And it was fascinating because on each occasion there's somebody coming from Australia and they don't know who this someone is and they don't know if this someone is, you know, bona fide or Mm -hmm. worth talking to. So on each occasion I was taken to a diner to (laughs) suss me out before I was then invited to their house or to their office to to have a proper conversation. So so that was great. So in each case, we we got past the diner. (laughs) (laughs) But you learned all about diners. (laughs) And blueberry pie. (laughs) Um, And so... um, you scoped out the literature, you uh, interviewed people? I, I did. Um, look, it was going to be a mixed methods PhD with both quantitative and qualitative uh, research. But what happens, and I think it does happen a bit, is that you undertake the quantitative and suddenly you've got too much data yeah, that you, you don't possibly. need to go any further <laughs> yeah. in as much as you really want to because it's hmm. not finished. Um they say no. It's at the post office. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do that another day. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go further. I did interview people, mm-hmm. but that that material is still sitting there. Yeah. So it's the quantitative um, data that is, you know, formed the the main research. Mm-hmm. And you were trying to develop a, a way of identifying people with poor literacy and then how to help them. Yes, more on a community-wide scale, mm-hmm. I think. More not for an a, individual. Not for but. individuals, but but looking at what what are the pathways. So our latest paper, which has only come out this year in March, I had a look at that. has put together, uh, you know, five years later, <laughs> since the PhD was finished, or, f- or five or six, has put together the learnings from that, which took that long to drop out, you know, mm-hmm. from, from my head to sort of process mm-hmm. 
all the things that we'd learned and how we might be able to put put them together into five pathways for communities or societies mm-hmm. to achieve a greater level of, of ecological knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. I never planned that that's what we were looking to do, mm-hmm. develop pathways for that, but that's what came out of it in the end. You know, the, the, the whole PhD process begins as something and ends as something else. <laughs> Completely and then a few beast. years later it, it can end I, as I some, think another one, thing yeah. again. Once you don't have that pressure of, of submitting a thesis, once that pressure's gone, then maybe you're kind of like seeing the forest, mm. not just the trees. Yeah, well, that's right. And and I couldn't publish during my PhD because I was working full-time as well. Oh. Um, although they did give me five hours a week to study. Which oh, generous. Was, well, which was generous. So I had Fridays, basically, Saturdays and Sundays. And then I worked the other four days long mm. hours. So... Um, I couldn't publish as well. Every time someone said publish as you go, I said, uh, you yeah, can jump no. on your head. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not happening. Um, so what what do you think um, was the most challenging then aspect of, of your PhD? I think mine was purely about time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, you know, you have the bumps along the way that you suddenly realise you do a three-day statistics course Mm. and you still don't understand how to do it and Mm. you have to get more help. And, you know, that's all quite challenging. Um, But I think time was my biggest issue just because I was working Mm. and um, just just trying to find time and trying not to take too long. Yeah, so Mm. while working at the same time, because some PhDs, are able to be done or people are able to free up full-time mm. study. Um, was there an advantage, though, to also having a foot in I the outside so. world, not just living in your PhD? Yeah, I, th- I think I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I, I think I enjoyed having well, other things would come my way, you know, other opportunities would come my way which fed into my PhD mm. and... My my work and my PhD were somewhat related, so yeah, I th- I think it was an advantage. Um, what were your strategies for getting around the challenge mm-hmm. of not having a lot of time to dedicate? So you were able to not be so separate from your working life, so that's an advantage. But um, how did you? Well, I suppose how long did you take to do your PhD? It took exactly five years. So it was a Which is pretty part-time. good as a part-time PhD. It felt like a long, long time, <laughs> but. Um, Looking back, yep. it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, how did you manage it? How were you balancing full time work essentially with um, your part time study and also having a family having and a family. life? Well, the family. Now, let me think. How old were they then? I think they were in their early twenties, mm-hmm. so they were okay. They mm-hmm. could look after themselves and be independent, and probably they could were feed themselves. <laughs> yeah. Doing probably moving in and moving back. Yeah. Yeah, back moving out, moving in. Uh, I don't know, working, um, studying, that doing all the things that mm-hmm. you know young women do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was relatively freed up from caring for people. So that was you know that made it possible. And I think because now we are talking a few years ago now. I mean, I started when I was fifty. Um, I wouldn't want to start when I was sixty. My brain is too tired to do a PhD, <laughs> yeah. although maybe maybe it could, but like I go, oh, I'm so glad I did it then. <laughs> <laughs> but it but it was just sort of being very disciplined mm. about um, 
you had to do it when you had the time. I had to do it when I had the time. I didn't have choices about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there'd be a beautiful summer days when family was down on the beach swimming and laughing and playing and walking and I would be sitting inside working, yeah. um, which really did annoy me but <laughs> had to be done. Um, so knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. It was absolutely... Apart from having my family, my children, um, it's the best journey I've ever had. Mm. It was fantastic. Um, it It's um, very diverse. It moves along all the time. It's never the same one month to the next mm-hmm. almost, you know. Um, and you think, oh, my God, I can't do this for years and years, but then it changes. Yeah. Then you're doing some other aspect or you're dealing with some other challenge or you're researching something else that came up that you didn't know you had to research, Mm -hmm. like how to ask questions. Oh, my God, I just thought I could ask questions, but no, there's there's a lot of work on how to ask. (laughs) So you you suddenly, and then learning how to analyse data, and Mm -hmm. it just moves and moves and moves, and it it was a fantastic journey for me. Mm. So you talked about how your research led to these pathways uh, for communities to live within the environment in a sustainable way. Uh, So have they been picked up by councils or do you know if they've had a reach? You've only published this year, haven't you? Well, well, that's only just come out relatively recently. And um, is is that the reason why your research was important? Do you think there was... Look, I think so. Um, I've always felt it's been of critical importance. (laughs) 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 To me, it's like the really important thing. But there's so much, so many really important things going on out there uh-huh. that um, it hasn't been picked up in a major way. But then I haven't pushed it, and I haven't mm-hmm. really been able to afford um, much open access publishing. So mm-hmm. that also yeah. makes a difference. Yes, for those of the listeners who maybe don't know, publishing is expensive. Totally, it can be hundreds of dollars to, and you don't get paid for it. Publish a paper. Well, well, this paper, if it had gone open access in, in Austral Ecology was going to be two to $3,000. Wow. So, you know, yeah. I just did so without funding or that sort of money yeah. and I'm, you know, I, it's just difficult. So you have to find other ways of then starting to promote things. This is good. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But um, it, it, is, it is very challenging and then you put all of this effort into writing, into writing up your information in ways that that will reach communities, groups, societies, organisations, and you really don't know. You put it out there, but you don't know. You know, it takes years to get lots and lots Mm. and lots of citations even, Mm -hmm. but then you really don't know if it's making an impact, and that's that's challenging, Mm. not not knowing and not really being confident that really this passionate thing that you've put so much effort into and other people have too is even making an impact. Mm. So that's, you know, that's challenging. So if you look in rather than out, so what impact has doing a a PhD been for you? So what skills have you developed? Do you take them on to your current role? Well, Absolutely. Patience, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the research mm-hmm. skills and um, being much more critical of, of what you read and where it's come from and 
you know, who's reviewed it. And mm. so those sorts of skills being much more rigor- rigorous and, uh, I guess, comprehensive and in your dealing with information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's nothing like a PhD to ruin your enjoyment of well, a newspaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a thing. Um, <laughs> but the, the skills in um, understanding the different journeys that people have mm-hmm. And and realizing that um, you know life life is very very challenging for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons and um, the study experience isn't always as good as mine mm-hmm. you know I have learnt that but I've taken a lot of skills into my work and you know my work has also allowed me platforms to be able to to talk about these things so yeah it's been good. So going to America, speaking at conferences? I speak at quite a few conferences and um, the concept of science literacy, science engagement, um, understanding how nature works is really becoming quite important. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, we're running out of space on this planet, so we need to really learn how to live in it probably, don't we? And understanding that is, is, I think, I really hope your paper reaches the audiences it needs to. Mm. You were already working, so you didn't really have a first job after your PhD because you were already working in a a space that you wanted to be in. Mm. Is it where you imagined you would be? Where when you, not not necessarily when you commenced your PhD, but even earlier maybe when you were doing your undergraduate degrees, is this where you thought you would end up? I have never in my life had (laughs) a life plan. (laughs) I have followed the river Mm -hmm. and I have trusted that... um, it will take me, you know, my decisions will be informed by both my heart and my head mm-hmm. and it will take me in a, in a place, to a place that's that suits me. Mm-hmm. Um, look, that hasn't always been the case, but, <laughs> but I didn't know what I would be doing mm-hmm. professionally or work-wise. I really had no idea. And after I finished my PhD, the current job that I'm doing came up, mm. which is about improving science literacy. So mm. it was ideal aligned. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought, well, this is this is kind of good. Um, and I and I got that job, and I've you know really enjoyed it and and done well in it. So um, who who knows what next? Mm. I, look, I really never know, and. I'm a bit of an opportunist like that. Like uh, something will hap- something will happen. Yeah, it, it always does. And you get the, do you get that feeling? I get I sometimes get that feeling that something good's about to come. So that's that's what that's <laughs> my guide. Um, so knowing what you know now about your PhD, or what a PhD is, would you do it again? Yeah, I'd do it again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But maybe. Would you have done it earlier? Mm, no, I, I, for me, I did it, it at the right, the right time. time. I had life experience. I had lots of work experience, um, and I did it. I did it not because there was any reason to do it, other than I really wanted to do mm-hmm. it. Um, I didn't have to do it. There wasn't um, something waiting at the end of it for me. It wasn't going to be my ticket to something. I think it has been a ticket to things, but it, you know, there was no plan that that would was how it was going to be. It mm-hmm. was just. 
something that I became really interested in doing and did and I did it. And you had the the time and space and well, I hardly will. had the time, but I, but I, but I <laughs> you carved yeah. out the time. I carved out the time. <laughs> yeah. Made it a priority is what you do, don't yeah. you? When things are tight, yes, yeah. you absolutely do. Would you be where you are? Do you think without your PhD? No, probably not. Mm. No, I think it's been. Um, I think it has moved me along um, in the right, in a good direction. Mm. I don't think I probably would have got the job I have without it. I think it probably helped with that. Um, you never know, of course, but I'm really, really pleased that I have it. Mm. I've, I've tried using it on airlines to get an upgrade. <laughs> it's never, never worked, but, you know, it has other advantages. You drop it, you try. <laughs> This is always a bit of a tricky question, but what is a PhD? Because you said it's not a ticket. No, I think it's um, <clears throat> I think it's a process of discovery and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a a journey in which you learn an enormous amount, in which you deal with challenges, in which you grow. Um, you learn particular skills. Um, you learn a bit about yourself, if you didn't know it already. <laughs> um, so, and then at the end of it, you've done a big thing, mm-hmm. uh, but the skills you've learned along the way and the the rigor, the rigor that's necessary to be really well informed on something, I think is a really important lesson. Mm-hmm. I think you learn that you know something so well all of a sudden. They say that for a few minutes in the world you're the most (laughs) knowledgeable person person on that one subject. So you know how hard it is to Mm -hmm. learn something really, really well. Mm -hmm. And so you you, um, can't expect everyone around you to know that thing really, really well. So you have to be, you know, you you learn that lesson on on what's involved in becoming well, really well versed on Mm -hmm. one particular and it's nice issue. to have that level of knowledge, uh, even if you, even, well, for me, I've never really used it. Except my PhD was on acne and I've got a 15-year-old daughter and she doesn't even want to admit that I know more <laughs> than she does. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, so for people who are thinking about a PhD when they've come to the end of their undergraduate degree, what sort of advice would you have for somebody who was maybe thinking about it? And given that at the moment um, I think the they said something like, about 11,000 students graduate with a PhD in Australia every year. And someone's thinking about it, is it, is it a good time to be doing a PhD? Or Look, I think people do PhDs for many different reasons. Some it is going to be their ticket uh, to work and income and providing for their families, etc. For some it's just an interest or it's a passion or... Um, for some, it's part of a particular life path that they've set out for themselves, um, part of a continuum. Look, I, I don't think there's any one answer. I, I would just say to people, you know, do it if you really want to do it and you're really prepared to put in that effort. But I wouldn't do it thinking that it's a ticket to some guaranteed job, place one mm. any guaranteed place because it's not it's really there's so many phds as you say mm-hmm. um so what 
and who cares? Mm -hmm. It's then what you do with it. It's mm -hmm. then what journey you go on after that um, that matters. Mm -hmm. So, of course, undertake it and make it matter and make it useful and enjoy it. Um, if you suffer with it, I'll be sad for you. Mm. Um because it's a big part of your life. Mm. It's a massive part of your life. Mm. Yeah. But it's I, what you do with it afterwards that matters. There's I a think. certain amount of suffering in there, but it's not a it's not a it's sort of fleeting, I suppose. Childbirth. It's yeah. <laughs> well I've I've likened it to childbirth a bit because it's like this thing that can't go back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know once now. It's coming, it's coming. And, you know, once you're on that journey, you're on that journey yeah. and difficult and challenging and painful as it can be. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening. But you get to the end and you forget about the pain. <laughs> and then you go and have another baby. No. Uh, well, exactly, exactly. So um, you've had a, a circuitous journey through your undergrad and, and your teaching and, and then your careers and then to a PhD. Um, do you have any advice for people who might be entering into university or making plans to enter into university about knowing about what your career path is going to look like? I think it's very difficult to know. I mean, if you look at mine, I've I've done, it's been crooked. I've gone all over the place and I've done lots of different things. In a sense, they've got relationship with each other, but, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not a linear pathway. So I would only advise people to do what you like or love, do some of what you like or love, do some of what you think is going to be really useful to yep. you and don't be afraid to challenge yourself by taking on the things that you aren't that comfortable with as well. But to me, it's about a balance. If you do some of everything, if you only do the things that you're only good at and, you know, this world is calling more and more for qualities that are not specific minutia of how to do a certain thing that's it's calling for people with um, emotional fortitude and and compassion and communication skills and and a whole raft of things that you you don't necessarily learn through taking a subject at mm. a university um so from that point of view um i think it's gr i'm really glad i did my arts degree first because it gave me that broader broader sort of engagement with the world before I focused in further along the way. I think it's good to to be broad mm -hmm. in your learning and not focus too tightly or if you do focus tightly for some reason to also engage with more worldly subjects that that teach you, you out other of things your yeah that zone. teach you other things. Yep. And so finally this brings us to our, oh, actually, no, one more question I've got before we get to the final, final question is whereabouts <laughs> is your thesis today? Where is the book? Where is it physically located? I've got to have a couple of copies at my house. <laughs> 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 there should be one in the University of South Australia. <laughs> there should be online on the University of South so Australia. Them around. Is there any of them um, holding up monitors or...? <laughs> Doorstops, or are they are they uh, on a? The ones I know of, which are the ones in my house, mm -hmm. are not holding up anything. They're wrapped carefully in a hessian bag Given or something. The prestige Keep, that they keeping deserve. the moths out. <laughs> 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 no, I I actually um, 
look it up quite often. You do? You refer to it a lot? Mm, I do. And in writing my papers, I referred to it a lot. Oh, yeah, because you're still a little immersed in it. Well, I've only just written the fifth paper, published the fifth paper out of it, and that's probably the final one. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's been five years of publishing since I finished. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm often referring to it. And then sometimes I think to myself, I don't think... Let me let me go back and have another look at what I wrote. Let me see if it was any good. <laughs> let, let me let me in you know down the track. Let me look at it and and I go back and I read it and I go, bloody hell, that was fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't do excellent, that now. Excellent. Oh yeah. my god, I'm so glad I did it then. <laughs> yeah, so I'd look at that. I go, oh wow, that was that was really Damn, good. Damn, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And so um, finally, have you ever heard any myths or any misconceptions that you would like to set the record straight on about about doing a PhD or about life as an academic or what have you heard? I think I've kind of talked about the, the things that I consider myths, like mm-hmm. like it's a ticket to something yeah, or, or a guaranteed ticket to something. Um, the other thing is, I think people go into it expecting it's going to be a relatively simple, straightforward, <laughs> but there's know, a plan, linear there's thing. And, and I think that's a myth. It's actually a journey with so many ups and downs and circular processes and sideways alleys and that it, you, you go, it's important, I think, to go into it without the expectation that it's going to be straight, linear, and you're going to pop out the other end and it's mm-hmm. all then you have you this know, beautiful product yeah, that yeah. people will and not be changed. And, yeah. Yeah. You will be changed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sometimes that's a little spiral. You <laughs> yeah, will be changed and, and hopefully for the better. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you. That is you. a great place to finish. It really thank is. you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in and thank you so much for the support of our inspiring essay and, um, and thank you for your generosity and your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. The very last thing that we should end with is a huge thank you to all of the people who came and gave their time to be interviewed for this um, podcast series. It's, very generous. It was very generous of them and it was so fascinating. And uh, after every interview, I felt so inspired <laughs> to be a researcher and, and to use my PhD. So it was a very eye-opening experience and a, um, a, a really interesting experience. Yes, and we're really very grateful to yeah. every single one of them. But we're also especially grateful to Dr. Sharon Pittman for yeah, telling us, gave us the, about the grant. <laughs> the inside story about the grant. Yes. yes. She gave us the inside story about the grant that we applied for and we got, which supported um, the production of this podcast. So thank you to Inspiring South Australia and to Sharon Uh, for your very generous um, support of our podcast. Thanks for listening to Career Sessions with Dr. Stephanie Champion and Dr. Tamara Agnew. If you like the show and want to know more, check out www.careersessions.com where you can send us your suggestions for future series and subscribe so you know when a new episode is posted. If you love it, tell all your friends and please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks to our sponsor, Inspiring South Australia, for their generous support, and to our producer, Rory, at Podbooth. Join us next time when we talk careers with another leader in the field.